this morning. There's a man who I do listen to quite a bit, um, has always been very biblical and very sound in his preaching, uh, whose name is Paul Washer. Uh, this guy has always uh, presented the gospel as it is, no, um, no you know, uh, uh, frills and no um, you know, uh, entertainment and all of that sort. Um, he presents it as it is, and that's something that began to attract me. And I was listening to a story he shared, and I shared this story on Tuesday night, but I want to repeat it because it's worth repeating tonight. He went on to say, let's imagine I show up late, and I ran up on the platform, and all the leaders that were there got angry with me and said, Brother Paul, don't you appreciate the fact that you're given an opportunity to speak here and you come late. And I'd say, brothers, you have to forgive me. Well, why? The leaders asked. He said, when I was out there on the highway and I was driving, I had a flat tire. And I got out to change the tire. And when I was changing the tire, the lug nut, you know, the bolt on the, on the wheel, fell off and I wasn't paying attention that I was on the highway and I ran out and grabbed the lug nut. And as I ran across to the other side of the highway, a huge log truck came at 120 miles and knocked me down. And he said, that's why I'm late. Now, the leaders that were there would probably look at him and said, there are two logical conclusions. They would probably respond to him and say, Paul, you're a liar. Or two, they would call me a madman. You would say, brother Paul, it's absolutely absurd. It is impossible to have an encounter with something as large as a logging truck and not be changed. And then he went on to say, my question to you is this, what is larger, a log truck or God? It is impossible, he went on to say, to have encountered Jesus and never had your life changed. It's impossible. The same way a log truck knocks you down and you are not going to come out normal is the same truth that if God meets with you, there is no denial that you are going to experience a change in life. It is inevitable. It is confirming. It is certain. It is definite. And yet, how many people today profess to have had had an encounter with Jesus Christ and yet their lives are not permanently changed? I want to preach to you this morning a sermon I've called Miracle Conversion. You see, the unexplainable miracle that exists in Christianity today 
is the power of God to transform life. In other words, it is a decisive act in which a sinner turns away from sin in genuine repentance, accept the salvation that Christ offers. The imagery in conversion is that of turning. I say to you, repentance this morning leads to conversion. A life that is changed this morning is an evidence of salvation in a life that has been transformed. So what's the evidence of my salvation? My life has changed. It is sobering that pseudo-Christianity today, you know what pseudo-Christianity is? Pseudo-Christianity is the appearing of Christianity that seemed to look real, but it's not. And I declare to you that so many Christian circles today have what is known as pseudo-Christianity. It's on the rise. We are people who profess to know Jesus. We are people who proclaim they have relationship with God. But can I say, be very honest with you, they live like the world. They talk like the world. They behave like the world. And you ask yourself, how much of a Christian are you? Narrow is the way that leads to life. Broad is the road that leads to destruction. There's no shortcuts in Christianity, beloved. The evidence of Christianity is found in conversion. Acts 22, verses 6 through 15. The Bible says, Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light, from heaven shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. Verses 10. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise, go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Verses 12, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. At the same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. So we're talking about one of the most profound conversions in the history of Christianity. The life of Saul. The man whom we refer to today as Paul. And as we look at this text, we find the life of one of the most notorious persecutors of Christians of the time. Paul is sharing his testimony. 
He is bringing this account to the people in the temple at that time and he's beginning to share as he recounts his story of what happened in his conversion. I want to make a statement to you this morning. I said in the beginning of this message that the unexplainable miracle that exists in Christianity is the power of God to transform life. I am a living testimony church. My life has changed. The moment I bowed my knees at the altar and received Jesus into my life, I was a 13-year-old man. Let me tell you what happened to me at that time. I gave my life to Christ, but I used to be, at the age of 12, watching stuff on the internet that I shouldn't have been watching. Pornography. My life was messed up. I was listening to music that promoted suicide and carnality, fornication. I'll tell you what happened. When I got saved, I got rid of all my worldly CDs. You may say, you're a nutcase. I was. Maybe that's why I'm still saved today. Maybe that's why I'm still in the will of God today because of those hard decisions that I made when I needed. And I got saved at the age of 13. Let me tell you something, beloved. I went all out for God. I fought with my parents to be in church. You can ask them. I would have taken my bicycle and traveled from USJ 20 to church in Klanajaya because that was how much I really desired to be in the house of God. Something changed. I wanted to be... I wanted to be no longer in the things of ungodliness. I want there was a desire in my heart that changed, beloved. And today we seem to make it acceptable. Let me bring this truth to you. The Bible says narrow is the way that leads to life. I wish I can stand here and lie to you. You don't have to change. Just continue to live the way you are. But beloved, one day we all have to stand in judgment. We'll give an account. And when you've been listening to all the trash that people have been promoting out there, oh, you can be the way you are. You don't have to be convert. But when you study scripture and the Bible tells us that an encounter with God converts you. And if that conversion isn't taking place, can I attest to my Christianity? What's the proof? What's the proof? Without conversion, what's the proof? See, repentance is the power that leads to conversion. Now the Bible tells us, a light shone and he fell to the ground. Conversion began with exposing and humbleness. The light shone, which is a picture of darkness have no fellowship with light. This is old school preaching today. You may not like it, but it's old school. It's the truth. And I tell you, the light shone around Saul. And the Bible tells us, as the light shone, this man humbled himself before God. Because he turned around and what did Saul say? Who are you, Lord? And he said, Lord, what shall I do? There was indeed a sense of exposure 
and a sense of humility. Every conversion that has ever happened happened on the grounds of light shining in, exposing who we are, and a human being coming to a place and saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. That's where conversion happens. Without that, there is no conversion because conversion is a work of God. God spoke to this man and he went on. The Bible tells us that he told this man, I am Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting. You know you hurt God with sin? When you despise other believers that are doing right, when other believers are living for God or even when other believers are doing what is righteous, that's what Paul did. He hated them. He hated righteousness. He hated people that did the right thing. He hated the ones who were in the way, walking in the counsel of God. He hated them. That's why he persecuted them. He despised them. And what does Jesus say? When you persecute those people, you are persecuting me. When you hate other Christians, when you don't like them being righteous, when you don't like them being in the will of God, walking in the council, you are not taking it against them, you are taking it against me. True conversion, beloved, involves us being aware of our sin and our humility that we need God without the awareness of our sinful nature, without the realization that our sin is hurting God's heart, there is no conversion. Why did my life change? Not because of the way the pastor preached or not because of who my pastor was. No, I had a divine encounter with God. I can tell you right now, God met with me. I can tell you right now, even in my prayer life, the several attempts and the several encounters that I had with God, and in those encounters, God changed my life. So I declare to you, beloved, God begins to reveal things to you and I. Conversion happens when we repent from what we realize is wrong. Christians today, it's sad, but... It's so difficult to tell a Christian apart from someone of the world. In their speech, they cuss like the world. They act like the world. They talk like the world. But pastor, didn't Paul say that we have to be... Beloved, your testimony is the only way they will come to Jesus. If you are like them, what's the difference? There must be something in us that stands out, that carries the love of God in our hearts. I want to ask you this morning a simple question. You see, their conversion, their passion, their dreams, everything we do. Can I ask you this morning, does it have Christ in it? Does it have Christ? God, it's my desire to please you. Or is it all but just materially influencing you? Or is it all attractive to the flesh and appealing to the flesh? Beloved, can I ask you, do you have a passion to know Jesus? 
Do you spend days in and days out crying out, praying in the morning, laying all, spending time reading the word, worshipping, finding every chance you can to be in the presence of God? Do you have a passion to be in the house of God? See, if you told me that, you know, I'm not a Christian pastor, I don't have a passion for that, then I ask you this morning, how much have you truly been converted? Don't, don't, let's not beat around the bush. Who are we really? Are we really Christians? Do we have conviction of sin? Can I preach this morning? Do we have conviction for sin? When I say something wrong, do I feel wrong in my heart? When I lie to someone, do I feel? Can I tell you why it's so important, conviction? Because if your pastor doesn't have conviction, then you're not in safe hands. I can do whatever I want to do, however I want to do it. I can choose not to pray. I can choose not to read. I can choose to cheat, steal, lie to you as much as I want because there's no conviction. And you know what? From the pulpit, there's so many pastors today who lack that conviction. That's why they can outrightly commit adultery and don't feel anything about it. That's the truth. That's why they can outrightly speak things and don't feel conviction about it. Why? Simply because somewhere within, beloved, Christ is no longer present. 1 John 1, 6, 6. Look at this passage, beloved. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie. How much clearer do we want that to be? If we say we actually have fellowship, but we're walking in sin, ungodliness, unrighteousness, who are we lying to? I'm not preaching this sermon to condemn anyone. I'm preaching this because I want to open your eyes so you can see, God, there are areas in my... I had to check my own heart preparing this sermon. Because how many know pride can be subtle? Arrogance can be subtle. And, you know, though we may not commit the sin that we so-called say, oh, he's lying, cheating, and doing all of those nonsense, but you know what? Sometimes we can have pride in us. Arrogance in our hearts. And it can be subtle. And I had to check my own heart. You know, a few years ago, in 2017, I preached for one of our pastors in Sydney. I'll tell you his story. Tony Huang was a migrant from Vietnam. This man came into Sydney, Australia. His parents, you know, uh, at that time, Australia opened up their borders and they flew in, they came in. And obviously, in their minds, uh, the grass will be greener on the other side. And so they wanted a better future for their children. They wanted a better future for their family. Uh, they wanted a better prospecting job and all so on and so forth. But let me tell you the story here. Tony Huang began dealing with heroin at the age of 13. He came to a place where he was so addicted, he no longer just uh, 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 sniffed it. He began to inject it into his body at the age of 13. Shortly after that, by the age of 15, he was making 10,000 Aussie dollars a week. He was a school student selling drugs by the train station. And one day, he went into prison at the age of 14. 
came out of prison, at the age of 19, went back into prison again, came out of prison, and at the age of 21, he was sitting in his apartment room. He took the, the syringe. He was about to inject himself. He did that again, and he, went, he, he overdosed on heroin. And he was so broken at that time. He was so fed up with life. And he began to pray. He was so broke. He went to his church at that time and he knelt down and he said, you know what, I don't even know. I just walked into this place. I knelt down and I said, God, if you are real, I want you to show me a sign. Show me a sign. I want a sign from you. I kid you not. He walks out of that building, walks down the street. One of our pastors was outreaching on that street. Gave him a flyer. On that flyer, he showed me the flyer. Will return the words. If you're, if you are looking for a sign from God, this is it. He bowed his knees. He is in, I think, in this place called the BKK Mall in Crab Mata, whatever it's called, you know, Sydney. Uh, and and he bowed. He, he began to cry. Everyone there knew he's a drug dealer. He's a gangster. They saw this guy crying profusely. Went into church. It's 2020. He walked into church in 2004. Never touched drugs ever since. Today, he pastors one of the thriving churches in Fairfield, Sydney, Australia, with 200 people in church. That's conversion. What men cannot do, God does. But you see, the, the combination is same, always. You come to a place where God exposes your sin and shows you, you're not right with me, and you got a choice to make there. You can choose to negate it and push it away pridefully, or you can do what Saul and Tony did. Humble yourself and say, God, I've wronged you, and I'm sorry. So exposure and humility brings conversion. This is what happened with Saul that morning. This is what happened to this man when he got knocked off his ride. God changed his life. Let's continue. Let's talk about conversion. Because what conversion does, beloved, is it establishes an affirmation of an encounter with God. Why do people experience conversion? Because it's a testament that God has touched them and they encountered God. I want you to be very, very uh, 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 attentive to what I'm about to say here. Saul fell off his right. He saw the light. He heard a voice and he responded so unexpectedly in verses 10. Think about this, beloved. In verses 10, just read these few words. What shall I do, Lord? I mean, what turned this guy to a place where he was so willing to say, what shall I do? This was the same guy that was persecuting Christians. This was the same guy that hated those who followed Jesus. This was the same guy that despised those who loved and followed Jesus. But what happened to this guy? He turns around in all humility. He says, you know what? What shall I do, Lord? 
Have you come to that place? What shall I do, Lord? See, conversion will drive you up to a place of willingness for God. When you truly had a convert, converted life, it will drive you to a place where you are willing to say, God, what shall I do? What do you want me to do, God? You see, this profoundly indicated the power of an encounter with God, beloved. And Saul was on the journey to persecute Christians. But listen to me, he wanted to take this letter from the king and he got the letter, beloved. He was going to go into Galilee, I believe, and he was going to persecute the Christians that were there. So he was in full force anger and he was in full force uh, you know, uh, uh, on the roll to go and kill these people, to judge them and to bring them into a place of uh, judgment. And here in that journey that he was on, God touched him, God stepped in, and God changed him. This is powerful to me. Let me tell you one of the things I pray every day. Every day, you can ask these men that come for prayer and the ladies. <laughs> you can ask them, God, give them an encounter with you. Every day, I pray that. Every day. God, give them an encounter. God, I pray for brother so-and-so. Give him an encounter with you. God, I pray for sister so-and-so. Give her an God, I pray for this family. I bind and break every assault. Do you know that's my prayer every day for you? As a family, I pray for every family. I start every day and I pray for families first. And then I begin to pray for couples, single men, single women. And I begin to pray, I say, God, every strategy of hell against their life, I bind it and I break it in Jesus' name. And I'm telling you, beloved, with all honesty, without an encounter, I don't expect you to change. Amen. I'm not a fool, church. If you've never encountered God moving in your life, you'll never have conversion. We, oh, li listen, we can be busy with activities. I, I've been around long enough. You know what? There are people who are so involved in this, involved in that, doing this, doing that, that bam, 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 boom, bam, boom, bam, bam, all, everything they're doing under the sun. But if they were honest with themselves, they have never encountered Jesus. Never. Just like Paul where the sh light shone, God met with him, God exposed him, God revealed to him. That's where conversion happens. And you can have that at the altar this morning. We're going to pray. But I want to aim this message at not only you, but I want to pray for unsafe families this morning. That's why I'm preaching this. Because I want you to start praying for your family who doesn't know Jesus to have an encounter with God. I shared a story a few weeks ago about a man who is in church today. And this man, um, at one point of time, this man just, you know, I don't want to come to church and all so on and so forth, you know, and, and I'm, I'm not going to come to prayer and so on and so forth. And so one day, he went to bed at night. I'm not lying to you. This is really what happened. Went to bed at night, and he dreamt 
of fire in hell. Burning. You know what happened to this guy? His life was changed forever. He has been in morning prayer since then. What happened? An encounter with God. An encounter. God can shake people up however He wants to. He, he will not play patience with us when He wants your attention. You know why He knocked Saul off? He could have just shone the light. He could have just, you know, sent an, an angel, Michael. You know, Michael, catch him, he's going to fall. God said, no, let him hurt a bit. Let him hurt because he needs to know who I am. He's been too arrogant with me. He thinks I'm just going to keep quiet and let him persecute my children all this time. I am going to step in and I'm going to show him who's God. And God did just that. That's conversion. An encounter with God. Can I tell you, God can give your family dreams. They'll shake them. God can give your family vision. They'll wake them up that they'll stop playing Christian games, pseudo-Christianity. Outwardly, they look so Christian, but on the inside, they're not right with God. Matthew chapter 9, 18 to 20. Beloved, let's move quickly and close. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. This woman's life was changed in one encounter with Jesus. And why do I use this story? Because in all reality, Jesus went out of the way to meet this woman's need. And I want you to know that you can never inconvenience Jesus. That Jesus is able to go out of the way, just like with Saul, who's on his way to go after the Christians. Think with me, here is Saul. He is going to kill. Jesus steps in the scene. It's like, you know, he runs across this animal and Saul begins to fall off. And I believe this morning, as you read the Word of God, there are numerous testimonies of one encounter with Jesus. Listen, beloved, carefully. The woman who committed adultery, the woman with the issue of blood, the, the, the man whose daughter was sick and he said has died and so on and so forth. All of these stories, you know what changed their life? An encounter with Jesus. Jesus touched them. He touched them. He stepped in the scene and all changed in their life because of an encounter with Jesus. And I cannot tell you, beloved, how much we have discounted an encounter with God. You cannot, you cannot discount an encounter with Jesus. You and I must come desiring an encounter with God. I thank God that an encounter with Jesus is not subject to how well we sing. I thank God that an encounter with God is it not subjected to how well we play. You know, many of you were in this church from the beginning. You know my wife and I, I was the horrible worship leader. And my wife was the gifted guitarist. I have to say that. I'm going home with her afterwards. <laughs> the reality is, it was the two of us in the beginning. Didn't God come down? In many times, we encountered God. I can remember standing on stage and singing, It's your blood 
that sets me free. And the presence of God would fill the, just the two of us. There were times I walked into church and I would fight like a maniac with the devil. You know that I've come into church on numbers of occasions and I prayed on this chest? Because I know the devil's strategy to attack people in this church. God, I bind every lie of the enemy. Anyone who sits here, God, whatever tormenting spirit, I bind it, I rebuke it. I'm serious, church. I don't play games with the devil. But I want you to know, conversion happens in an encounter with God. Your life will never change unless you encounter Jesus. You can try all you want. You can read all the self-help books you want. But one encounter with Jesus will change your life. I want you to believe God with me this morning for your unsafe family. We are going to pray for them this morning. Friends that don't know Jesus. Grandchildren, maybe. Children. And listen to me carefully. Why, why is this so important? Because their eternity hangs in the balance of this. God will hijack any plan, beloved, so that we can have an encounter with Him. But I'll also tell you this, God will never violate our free will. If Paul that morning decided to say, you know what, who in the world are you? I'm not going to worship you. Isn't that what a lot of Christians may do today? Encounter, I'm not bothered God. You, you can tell me anything to do. I'm not going to follow any one of your commands. He could have responded that way. But the change came because he was humble. And so conversion carries with it its qualities. And there are certain consistent hallmarks. And I want to draw this to a close with these three thoughts, beloved. Number one, as you read this passage... The Bible tells us that Paul, Saul at that time, was the individual that God was aiming to save. In any conversion, I want you to keep this in mind, there's always a precise candidate for conversion, number one. There's always a person involved in any conversion. And that's why I say to you that when you bring that person up to God, God is keen in saving them. When you pray for them every day and you lay hold of God for them every day and you begin to call out their name every day, can I tell you, you lay your, your, a name on that person, a precise candidate, an individual, I'll tell you, a precise candidate is always one of the requirements for conversion. Who do you need converted this morning? Who do you need in your family and in your friends, with, amongst your circle of your friends? Who do you need a touch from God that will convert and change their lives? Who's that one person? Who's that individual that you need to pray God, to God for? Who are you calling out to God for? You see, Saul was that individual in our text. And God didn't treat that lightly. He made a personal effort to get this guy off his ride and change his life. And I'm telling you that as long as there is an individual that you will bring to God, God will do everything in His power to save that person without violating their free will. 
God will never violate anyone's free will. That is against His order. In Acts 2, 22, verses 4 to 5, look at this passage, beloved. It says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears with me witness, and all the counsel of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains, even those who were there, to Jerusalem to be punished. So here's a guy who is about to go and persecute Christians. This was the individual that hated the way, and the Bible says, I persecuted this way to the death. This guy, can I be honest with you? This guy is the last person to be converted. But who's the first one God saved? Him. You know what God shows? You know why so many times, I, can I be very honest with you? You know why when you read the Middle East, you read South Africa, you read news in many of the parts of India, and you find that there are people who are being converted so powerfully and radically, and you find that because they got no options but to trust in God. You know why they have dreams? Because they're not distracted, but their minds are on God. You know why they see things that we don't see? Go and read, go and read. Don't, don't take my word for it. Go and read all the news that's going on. You know, people encounter. I was just reading this morning. I woke up, I prayed, and I was just reading before I preached the sermon. And I can tell you, Muslims are being converted by the droves across the nations of the earth. In Iran, you know how they come to Jesus? They saw a vision. Encountered the power of God. Life changed. Why do we not see that in Malaysia? I think maybe we're too comfortable with life. We seem to have things going well for us. But when you look at those nations and you look at the encounter, I think God becomes magnified in adversity. And when I read those stories, I tell myself, God, I want to experience that. It's not enough they experience. I want to encounter. I want you to give me visions. I want you to give me dreams. God, I desire that in my life, God. And I'm here to tell you, beloved, the last person to be converted that day was probably Saul. This guy hated Christians. And you know what? Most Christians would probably want him dead anyway. But who did God touch? Saul. In a way to tell us, the harder the sinner the greater God's saving power. God is able. Let me tell you, you may have people in your life that you may look at and say, they are the last people to get saved. Don't be surprised. When my uncle got saved, I remember at that time, we would talk to him about Jesus. We would share with him about God. We would tell him. And I remember one night, I think just before his wedding, the night before, two days before his wedding, he got so angry with us. He took this glass. He was drinking, I think, uh, 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 something at that time. And he took the glass. He just threw it on the ground. He said, don't tell me about Jesus anymore. I'm tired of you people telling me about Jesus. In a year, someone from another church told him about Jesus and he got saved. How? What happened? Hard call. I think Jesus loves hard calls like that. Because when they are hardcore sinners, they become hardcore believers. When they've been sold, you know, sold out to the world, they come to a place where they get sold out for God. 
The second key here is not only that he was a perfect candidate or a precise candidate, there was a candidate there, but I think the second thing you have to understand in any conversion that happens is he was positioned for conversion. Paul or Saul rather was riding his animal and he was journeying and the Bible precisely says near Damascus. Now, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think Saul's conversion happened at the right place and at the right time. God God ordained and ordered it in such a way. And God allowed it to happen in such a way. And I think this is what is so powerful about conversion, that this is why it's so important that we position ourselves in a place where God is able. And sometimes the way we position that is by sharing the gospel with our family or with our friends. It is by proclaiming Jesus. Or can I say it a different way? It's by being a testimony as a Christian. I think sometimes bad testimonies turn people away from Jesus. And I also think sometimes when they don't see change in us, they question, what's the difference? What's the difference? You're the same like me, one. I'm good. I was talking to a gentleman this week and he was sharing with me. He's telling me, Pastor, you know what? I think, right, that there are some non-believers that we might be surprised might enter heaven. I said, I don't know, bro, but... (laughs) <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. But you know what? I think if you really think about it, I'm not, I'm not advocating that, but I'll say to you, there are some good sinners out there. Better than Christians. Sometimes we get so pumped up and puffed up and arrogant that, oh, I'm right, I'm right. No, sometimes you're wrong. And I can tell you, I was talking, we were just at one of the sister's house yesterday or two days ago, and she was telling us, Pastor, she's crying. She said, Pastor, I want my children to be saved. I want my children saved. I want them to know Jesus. Before I die, Pastor, I want them to know Jesus. You think God will not honor the heart of a mother? Position. Thirdly, and I close with this, provision for conversion. You see, Saul was put in a place where he was converted and who stepped in? Ananias. God made provision for this man to stay converted. God provided someone in his life that would become instrumental to his conversion and his destiny. Oops. Sorry, MKN. Oh, it's telling Pakat Palitok Muka. Okay. <laughs> Maybe they're watching us, I don't know. (laughs) But I tell you, beloved, Ananias was in a place where he was going to help Saul make it for God. And I'm here to tell you, there are people here, your life will be instrumental to someone else's conversion. You know, we had a man that came to church a few weeks ago, got saved, gave his life to Christ. But Brother Victor was sharing with me, he went down and he met this man. And he came back to me and he told me this. He says, Pastor, everything he's going through is exactly what I went through in the past. What I went through in the past. Pastor, I I battled these things. 
I couldn't sleep at night. I got this and all. And here's the, that's exactly what I was dealing with. And what this man is going through is exactly what he, I went through. Can I tell you, sometimes your testimony, your converted life is going to help someone else get converted for Jesus. Your life could be a testament. I believe every person here has the ability to influence someone one way or another through your life, through what you've been through, through what you've been battling with, through all that afflictions and difficulty, that your life is a testimony to be of help and support. This was Ananias here. That was what his life was about. It was to contribute to Saul's conversion. So I declare to you that there are three factors here. Number one, there has to be a precise candidate. You need to be praying for someone. You need to really pray for people to get saved. Every day, God, I'm praying for my son. I'm praying for my daughter. I'm praying for my husband. praying for my wife. I'm praying for my grandchildren. I'm praying for my uncle, my auntie, my grandpa, my grandma. Whatever it is, you need to be praying for someone. You need to bring someone to God every day. Because God will take personal interest just like he did with Saul. He knocked this guy off and there was nowhere for him to run. And I tell you, sometimes the only thing between eternity and our unsafe family is us, that we pray for them. The only hope they may have is us, we pray for them. And it better be a burden in your heart this morning. And then it says that we were positioned for conversion, the right place at the right time, and God provides people that surround us, they'll help us stay converted that's why you have a church that's why we preach three times a week so when you get saved can i tell you something let's be very honest tonight the more you hear the word of god the more you grow that's the truth that there's no denial the bible says the word of god is a life powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword it has to do something in my life and the more i hear it the more i should be growing and I declare to you, beloved, that this is why we have a church that allows us to come hear the Word of God. We're not just here to just hype things up. And we have times for, you know, enjoyment and, and, and you know, activities and all of that is fine. But never, never, ever, ever move away from the truth of God's Word. Psalms 19.7, the Bible says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. What's required to convert the soul? What's required? Look at that. The law of the Lord. What is the law? That's all. You want true converts? You want someone to be genuinely converted? It doesn't happen by singing and dancing and yelling and screaming and shouting. No, no, no. I tell you how people get converted. The Word of God. And I ask you to ask yourself this question this morning. How much of the Word of God do you give yourself to? Really, how much do you give yourself to? How much do you really listen to the preaching? How much do you really spend time reading? How much do you really spend time digging into God's Word? That's where conversion happens, beloved. The law of the Lord is perfect. That means if I stand here all day and I just preach God's word, if only, let, let's put it this way, if only I took the scripture and I read the scripture to you, you sat here for six hours today and I just read scripture upon scripture, I guarantee you when you leave this building, your life would have changed. 
Definitely. Not because of what I said, because of what the Word of God says. The law of God converts the soul. Your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, their only hope is not sugarcoating the gospel, it's speaking the truth of the gospel with wisdom. With wisdom. You know, sometimes, you know, we, we are so rash with our words, we're so brush, you're going to die and go to hell and burn forever in hell. And then they wonder, you know, you know, there was a story about a pastor who preached about hell. And one of the unsafe uh, 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 husbands came to church, one of the wives that were attending church, the husband came to church one day and uh, he heard the message on hell. And you know what the husband said? I, I'm never going back to church. Never. And so he never, you know, he decided to never return back to church. And when asked, and then after a few years, he decided, okay, I'll come with you one more time. He came. And you know what the pastor preached on? Hell again. <laughs> but you know what he said? He got saved that night. He gave his life to Christ. Convert. But you know what happened, beloved? What happened was he, he concluded at the end of that, he said, you know what? The first time I came and the pastor preached on hell, he preached it like he wanted me to go there. But the second time he preached it, he preached it with such a passion that he doesn't want me to go there. There's a difference. You can say things like you really want someone to go there. And you can say something and say it with such a heart that I really don't want you to go there. See, this is what preaching does, beloved. It influences the Word of God. Ephesians 4, 20 to 22. I'm trying to close here. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Conversion carries with it a distinct difference of night and day. It's noticeable, it's obvious. Something has changed. Maybe I cannot tell that there's a change in you, but you can. And I'm a, I'm a pastor and I've, and I've learned that one thing happens that's true. That is, there are a lot of changes that happens internally that may not be seen on the outward. There are people here, you have been converted to a certain degree. At one time, you struggled to trust God, but today you can seem to trust God more. So conversion is not only just an outward act on the outside, but it is also maturity and growth on the inside. And this is why the more you hear God's word, the more we change. If I look back in my life five, six years ago, I'll probably be in a mess in, 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 in what I was doing and learning and trying to make myself who I am and all of that. But God in His, pro in His process and progress has changed and done a work in my life. That's conversion. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, conversion is the first exercise of the new nature in seizing from old forms of life and starting a new life. It is the first action of the regenerated soul in moving from something to something. So let's bring this down, my third close brother, and I'll close here. <laughs> I'll make sure. I'm doing, I'm doing my best. <laughs> Saul's life gives hope. To you and I and our family. 
Amen. Saul's life gives us hope that my unsaved family can get saved. A man who has persecuted, I told you, it's a difference of night and day. It's a difference of translating between one to the other. And I say to you, as you look at Paul's life, beloved, he was a complete transformation of a case. A guy who hated Christians not only became a Christian, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That is profound to me. That is powerful to me. When I look at Saul's life, it's a reminder that God doesn't just leave us at that stage of conversion, but Saul, who experienced a conversion of God, and I declare to you his conversion was fueled by surrender. I've seen many people come to church. I've seen many people who profess Jesus as Lord and Savior, but their life contradicts what they say with their mouth. And I think the middle ground to why that happens is because there is no surrender. A person who has surrendered will essentially find their words and their actions consistent. When they surrender, in other words, if Saul did not surrender, let's face it, he could have had an encounter with God, right? Who had an encounter with God on top of that? Solomon. If you read the book of Kings, Solomon had two encounters with God. The Bible says when he backslid, he married women, not just women, he married 700 wives. What a pathetic guy he is. And the Bible says he moved away. He began to allow Baal worship, idolatry and all of that in his own land. But the Bible makes it clear. He had two encounters with God. So my point to you is this, you can have an encounter with God and still walk away from it. But Saul did not do that. And my point to you this morning is this, that the real difference between Solomon and Saul was the element of surrender. And when you have surrendered your life to God, you will never be the same again. Something changes. And I want to challenge you today. We come to this altar. I want you to begin praying for your family and friends. I preached all of this not in the form of condemning anyone here. Please understand me. But I preached this so you understand what true conversion really involves. And you shouldn't settle for your children's conversion or your family's conversion to be just a pseudo-conversion. Outwardly looks real, but it's not real. You have to contend for real, genuine conversion. You know, our Christianity today is in such a shape and a state that people come to the altar. And you know, one of the things that pastors and also what, what, what many preachers begin to promote, just say this prayer. Just say a prayer, Lord, forgive me for I've sinned. And their whole faith and confidence is on that prayer, not in Jesus. I said that prayer, what? I must be saved. Lah. I said that prayer, I must be saved. But what does Jesus say? In 1 John 1, 6, what did we read? If you do not walk in the light, then how do you, how do you, 
How can you even bear witness that Jesus lives in you? This is a self-examining question here. But we must ask ourselves, when did I encounter Jesus? And has my life truly been changed? I tell you, beloved, this morning, my pastor Nina had to come up to me and said, you know what, Gregory, you need to get rid of this, you need to get rid of that. No. Let me tell you what I did. When I went home that day after I prayed, I, no one spoke to me. They are my witness. I stopped cussing. Every time I spoke, I used vulgarity. Something changed. I couldn't explain it. Something changed. I no longer desire to look at things on the computer. Something changed. Something completely happened in my, my desire for the things of the world completely changed. I'm not saying we become hermits. Please, don't get me wrong, you know. And, you know, um, and sit down in a corner and, you know, arm your whole life. It's not, you have to, the Bible says this. The Bible says this. Let me be very clear with you. The Bible says we are of the world, but not in, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. There are things you cannot avoid doing in the world. You have to work a job. You can't sit down and say, my God will provide, and just sit down at home and sit at home. It's not going to happen. You have to go and work, Right? You, you have to talk to people. You can't, you know, sit down and see, oh, that guy, uh, look at him, he's weird. Uh, I'm not going to talk to him, so I'm going to home and sit down with God. You can't. You can't. You can't. I'm not telling you to be a hermit. Don't get me wrong. Don't take this to a completely... You've got to fellowship. You've got to have friends. I've got friends who are not Christians. You've you got to have friends. Okay, it's, it's wrong if I tell you, oh, you must, your, your friends must only be Christian. On a level of one to five, what level are they at? Come on, you know. Like yesterday, we were in a restaurant, and, and you know, we, we went for, for dinner, and my mom asked, you think this restaurant name has got any biblical meaning behind it? Huh? It's this restaurant called Foxhole in SS14. You know, and she was like, it's like, maybe foxes have holes and birds have the air. I'm like, stop making it so spiritual. It's just called Foxhole. It's just a name. So, don't be like that, Okay. <laughs> But my point is, my point is, we're not called to live isolated as a hermit. But we must have changes in our lives. Evident changes that evidently confirm that I've been touched by God. Truly, I've been touched by God. And that's what I'm challenging you to. So pray this morning. Let's bow our heads. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not be conformed, but be transformed, the Bible says. Be transformed. The Christian life is a transforming life. Conversion on the outward. Your life is being changed. Only you can be the determiner of that this morning, you and God, not me. I'm, I'm no man. I, I cannot tell what God has changed in your life, but you can. 